Welcome everybody, time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies. Hello everyone, I'm Susan Finch. I'm here to introduce John Asher and Mike Adams. We are here for Asher Sales Sense. And Mike Adams, he's a best-selling author. You need to check out his book, but not until after the episode. Seven stories every salesperson <laughs> must tell. And we're not going to be able to get into all seven, John, are we? I don't think so. I, I don't think no, so. No. We have that time. But I'm really excited to hear because I know the direction this is going to go because John gave me a hint a minute ago. Before we take off with this, John, tell us some of what we're going to cover today. Mike has seven great stories for different situations, pretty much as you go through the sales cycle. And so I thought it would be useful, and Mike agrees with the time we have, just to pick three or four of the most important ones and do more of a deep dive. So maybe the first one is, how do you hook people from a prospecting standpoint? Two, once they're hooked, how do you tell a mindshare story to them? And then three, how do you ask the right questions to get them to tell you their story? Because when you tell your own story, and that's almost the, um, the highest enthusiasm people have for anything, is telling their own story. And then finally, of course, the story on how you close the deal. This is great. Are we ready? We're ready. Yes. All right, Mike, welcome. We are so glad that you are joining us. And John, I you pick the best guest. It always makes it fun to listen. And I learned so much from all your guests. So I'm going to let you guys go ahead and have your conversation. I might have a question or two towards the end, but I'll turn it over to you. All right. Terrific. So welcome, Mike. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you. I'm in the dark in Melbourne, Australia at six in the morning, but very happy to be with you and Susan. Uh, terrific. I love your country. It's a great country. I've been there seven times, mainly in my Navy career way back when but always great to come back. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and I can return the compliment. I've worked in the US in Austin, Texas and uh, traveled quite a bit and would love to go back. I would love to go back. I really miss the fact that we can't travel. Yeah, I, I was just in Austin in January and going back in um, next month. It, it's a great city, I have to say. It's gotten so big though. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, how do you start out with a story to hook a prospect? Yeah. That's a, it's a great question. And how do you connect with a buyer is maybe the most important question in sales. Because if we don't do that, we don't, nothing goes anywhere, does it? <laughs> we don't even get started. Fundamentally, our buyers want to know who are you and can they trust you? Should they have any kind of conversation with you? And stories are great ways of saying who we are and what we do in, without trying to push that. In fact, a great definition of a story is it's facts, it's information wrapped in context and, and delivered with emotion. That's a, an anecdote saying. So if I was to tell you, for example, you know, how did I get into storytelling? You know, how did, I'm, I'm an electrical engineer, so how does, a, how does an electrical engineer get into storytelling and helping salespeople? I could tell a connection story about that. And I'll give you a quick one just to give you a, a sort of a snippet. But when I was working in the UK, more than 20 years ago, I got a job in marketing. Uh, we were selling software to oil and gas companies. And the very first job I was given, I was working out of London. The very first job was to organize a user conference for about 500 of our VIP guests. It was going to be in Prague in the Czech Republic. And they said, Mike, you've got one hour. We want to have a demonstration of our new software. 
And even though I'm an engineer, at least I knew enough that one hour was too long to demonstrate software to 500 VIP clients. So <laughs> I, had this, I had this brainstorm idea. I thought, I'll write a play. I'll write a play and I'll put in parts for the different people in my pre-sales marketing team. I had about five people working for me. And so I wrote this play, which was sort of like a, a drama or an action around how you would use the story, the software and how it would come into play. And my team were very unimpressed with that idea. In fact, I remember France, my reservoir engineer saying, I'm not, a, I'm not an actor, I, I quit, I'm a reservoir engineer, you know. But, but anyway, they did it. So you can imagine we had these great big monitors behind them. They were at a table at workstations and they were acting out a situation which would be kind of a typical emergency situation for an oil company and showing how they would use the software. And I'd allocated like 50 minutes of, of drama and 10 minutes of questions. And the questions from the audience went through the coffee break for another hour. And, and my people stayed in, in, in role and answered the questions. And it was just so obvious that, that this audience was captivated by the story of how you use the software and not the features and the speeds and the, you know, all the various aspects that we typically demonstrate when we show software. And that was probably my first realization that, you know, the story is the thing that transports information. It's not the facts and the figures. So that kind of got me started. Fortunately, I figured out that you could just look for very short anecdotes, which is the name of our company, just little one or two minute anecdotes and do a very similar kind of effect. That's a connection story, John. That's just something that, that I did that you can probably infer a little bit about my character from. And what kind of person I am. Yes, I can. And what I would do if I was meeting a client for the first time, you know, I think about what's happened to me in my career that, that could be interesting to kick off the conversation just in a minute or two. And then I would just say, well, John, what about you? How did, how did you get into your job, you know? And they'll tell me a story back. There's just like human nature. If I tell you a story, and you and I did this when we first met, John, a week ago, we, we traded about, I didn't count, but I guess we traded 20 or 30 stories each, right? We, we just do that. And that's what humans do. Yes, no, I totally agree. And, you know, I know you know a lot about the neuroscience behind stories. And the one that I always connects with people is, you know, prior to 5,000 years ago, the written word, how was information transferred down from generation to generation to generation? Stories. So our brains from evolution are wired for stories. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's my opinion that, that story probably is the defining thing between humans and, and other animals. It's the way that we can share memories. I don't think we have any memories that aren't stories, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the fact that we can tell them to other people um, is, is what makes us human. Yeah, I, I, I just saw some Google data within the last year that essentially said, from any presentation you know, given by a presenter, people only remember two things, stories and videos. And usually the video was a story as well. That may be a good point to just make sure our listeners know what a story is because the definition is in some sense broad but also tight. So a story has to be a sequence of related events. So this happened, then because of this, this happened and this happened. If it's not... It's not a sequence of events. It's not a story at all. When we talk about oral stories, we put characters into stories because other people are interested in what happens to people. So we put a character in a story in a time and place, and then something happens to that character. That's the next sequence. And 
So we have to have a time and place. We have to have a sequence. We need a character. But we also need something counterfactual. Something has to happen that we couldn't quite guess because, and that's the information in the story, the fact that you thought this was going to happen, but actually something else happened, or I'm surprised that that happened, is what keeps us listening. So stories pass information by counterfactual as well as factual. This happened, but this other thing could have happened. And we absorb all of that when we listen to stories. But to go back to the sort of broad definition, uh, an image and music, uh, artwork, are, are also stories in the sense that they are treated by our brain, our neocortex, exactly the same way. Our neocortex is a prediction organ, and all it's doing is trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And your neocortex was probably predicting I was going to say the word next because we continuously predict what other people are going to say. We try to figure out what they're going to say. We try to imagine what we'll see next. And most importantly, what we'll feel next, how we will feel. So we're continuously predicting our senses. And that the beautiful thing about stories is because they are unpredictable, we pay attention and we continue to listen because we want to know what's going to happen next and that's our predicting brain that's our neocortex which is the most important part of the brain for three quarters of our brain is the neocortex that's the most important part of our brain for understanding stories it's about predicting what's going to happen next i'll give you a good example and um how to open a story good as you've mentioned before already it's got to have the emotion and not your emotion the storyteller but the emotion of the person you're telling the story about so several years ago, I was out close to D.C., a suburb, talking to a VP of sales of a mechanical contractor, and he had asked me to come out. And once we got talking, he basically said, you know, industry average growth rate is 15% per year. Ours was 5% when I got here. I've only got it up to 7%, and I've been here a year and a half. And the CEO was sharing all the company financial information every quarter for the first year, but she hasn't shown it for two quarters now in a row. I'm actually getting worried about my job security. So that's a way mm -hmm. to open it, just like you're talking about, right? There's a, his emotion yes. and there's uncertainty on what's going to happen. <laughs> Correct. What's going to happen. And, and in fact, what happens when we tell a story it's the decisions of the character in the story that pass emotion because the way our brain works is a decision is actually a decision to feel comfortable in some time frame. So that's actually what a decision is. A decision is I will do this because I think I will feel better in the future. And that could be short, medium, long term. So when we put a character in a story that's making a decision and that CEO in your little story there, John, has to make a decision, what is that CEO going to do to not get fired. And obviously that's a consequential decision. So what we do as story listeners is we, this is our beautiful predicting brain, our predicting brain imagines us in that CEO situation and we start thinking, what would we do? Right. And how would we feel? And we can actually feel how the CEO would feel. We predict how we would feel. We do this absolutely automatically. We don't know we're doing it all most of the time, but what the story does is allows the listener to get into that sense of feeling what the character would feel like. And that is the way to move people. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how people move. That's yeah. how they make decisions. Totally agree. And from my experience, if you can tell the story the right way as you're telling it, 
they start to feel like they're in the story. Well, what would it be Correct. if they were in the story? And then, of course, when that's you, the secret. That's the secret. And then when you get to the um, the end, you want the results of the story to be so good that they're thinking, "Wow, I wonder if I can get those same results." <laughs> yeah, and it, that's right. And if you tell a story of one of your clients who had success, who maybe wasn't doing so well and figured out with your help how to succeed, what you're actually doing is you're giving the the listener, if you tell that story to a prospect, we call that a success story, and the main character of that story is our other client. And this is not so easy. You have to learn how to tell a story about another client because most salespeople put themselves as the main character and then they kind of sound like the heroic person that sold that thing, right? But that's not the story. The story is how did this this other client of yours what situation were they in? How did they meet you? That's always interesting. How did you work on a plan together? How did they avoid failure? Because there's always something that can go wrong. And then how did they achieve success? They have to have agency. If you tell that story, it's like try before you buy because your listener can imagine themselves as that other client, which they would much prefer to imagine themselves as your client than you. And then they can go on that journey of, experiencing a problem and wondering what to do and hearing how you solve that problem. I could give you an example of that if you would like. Oh, sure. I'd love to, love to hear it. So with, with salespeople, we have to teach them how to tell the best success stories of our company. So I will tell you a good success story from anecdote that didn't involve me. I wasn't there, but I need to be able to tell that, tell that story. So we can anonymize success stories and we need to very often. So I'll, I'll tell you how we could anonymize this one. So, so Kathy is the head of HR development for one of the world's largest IT consulting companies. They're a multinational global organization based in the US. And Kathy runs a program for leadership development with about 500 of their director level people that might end up becoming partners, managing partners. And it goes for a whole year. One of the parts of that program is they get in groups of five or six around the world work on a new technology area and come to the global headquarters and present them to the managing partners. And Kathy was sitting next to the managing partner in their global headquarters in the theater. And the managing partner turned to her and said, my gosh, this is awful. Is this how our people present to our clients? I can't stand it. It's just all PowerPoint and boring. So Kathy knew she had to fix that. (laughs) And so she reached out to, to Anecdote, our company, which we had done a little bit of work with the, their senior partners, their managing director level uh, partners. And she explained the problem. And our managing director, Mark Schenk, was in the, on the West Coast of the US at the time. And he said, oh, oh, could I come and visit you? And she said, well, I'm in New York and you have 30 minutes. So our managing director flew to New York. And 90 minutes later, this is what happens when you tell stories, your, yep. your meetings go longer. Uh, 90 minutes later, They'd worked on a plan. So Mark said, look, we could we could run webinars around the world. And this back in 2018, pre-COVID, Kathy's thinking, no, I don't know. I think our people, are, they're, not, they're, they're kind of alpha people. They're not going to sit through webinars. And Mark said, well, yeah, but we could also use our global partner network and coach those teams wherever they are in the world because we've got 60 partners all around the world that deliver our program. So uh, she agreed. She needed to solve the problem. And... She called Mark, firstly, after the webinars to say that she'd never had a program with no drop-off. So that was the first time she'd ever seen that. But then back in the headquarters for the next set of presentations that were all delivered without PowerPoint, 
the manning, managing partner just turned to her and beamed. It's like, yes, this is how we have to do it. And now they do all of those presentations without PowerPoint. They have to deliver them with stories. And Kathy's still in that role. That's the role she loves doing. And we still work with her teams. That's great. So that's a success story. Typically, they take two or three minutes. But the idea is to tell it to you from Kathy's perspective and anonymize if you have to. But, you know, tell us what happened. And if I'm talking with another client that, that's concerned about the fact that their people aren't that great at presenting, they can just imagine themselves in that story. Absolutely. Yeah. And as I say, during the end, if you can end it with emotion, they're going, wow, I wonder how I can get those same results. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we can feel Kathy's embarrassment at being next to, you know, her managing partner and being told that the, the presentations are terrible. And yeah, so... That's a success story, and, and that takes a bit of practice to learn how to do that because most salespeople want to say, I have this client, and we did with this with them, and we did this with them. And that kind of, that's making your company the hero of that story. We just need to be the guide that helps them along. But notice that you can infer quite a bit about anecdote from that story without me having to push information. I don't have to push and say, we're a multinational consulting company. We have 60 partners all over the world and we teach presentation skills with story. I, I don't have to say that. It just comes out directly in the story. You infer, you probably infer quite a bit about the company that I didn't right. say. Exactly. Excellent. I enjoyed that you had me from that moment that I was wincing. I was with <laughs> Kathy wincing, like, oh no. And that was, that was brilliant. You brought us right in and you are exactly right. Those stories, those are the people I want to do business with. Those are the people that I could sit and listen to for two hours. If they just keep hitting me with story after story, I have memories of getting my taxes done with the same tax analyst for 35 years. And I've been going, I had been going to him since I was 19 years old and what would rivet me would be, we would go to the office, get it done. We would go to dinner and we would go to a little favorite Italian restaurant of his that was frequented by some, you know, colorful folks. And we would listen to the bartender, the waiter, and my tax analyst try and one up each other's <laughs> stories, one after the other. And three hours would fly through courses of meals and cocktails and things, of course, but I didn't want to leave. And so I have this wonderful experience of getting my taxes done, no matter what the outcome was, because of those stories and those memories. And that's all I'm left with. Not how much I owed every year, not how much I had to pay him for doing it for us, but I couldn't wait to go back again the next year. And I look forward to it every year. Yep. That is the power. Of yeah, that's a great, that's a great image. And, and unfortunately, the reality of business conversations is usually the opposite. In general, in business, and the big consulting companies are the worst at this, in my opinion, we talk abstractly. We say things like, you know, customer loyalty is, that's our biggest challenge or our biggest, our customer satisfaction is our highest priority. It's very abstract. I have no idea what you mean by satisfaction or priority or anything, right? But it sounds smart, sounds very clever. And who knows what we mean? We have this tendency in business to assume that we know what we mean when we say abstract things. 
And a story is concrete. A story is about something that actually happened that we can understand, that we can really appreciate. So if instead of saying customer service is our highest priority, we come down one level to at least generalize to an event. So we built a customer service center in New York. But then if we go one level further, but last week, we got a call from the CTO of our biggest company and now I'm telling a story and you can really understand what customer service means because I'm being concrete. And so we're really talking about changing the way we interact with our clients so that we can under, understand them and they can understand us and, and we get that connection. Excellent. So just to continue my story, just to give you one more part of it. So I talked to the VP. He told me what his problem was and, of course, what his emotion was, right? where he's going to get fired. And so the second part of the story is my story that I'm telling this new contractor now is also a mechanical contractor. So the story needs to be relevant to the person you're telling the story to. Yes. Usually means mm. it's got to be in the same industry or pretty darn close, right? And then as you said, Mike, the next part of the story is here's what we did. Right, we gave them the aptitude assessment. We helped them get better salespeople. We trained them all, and then so that's yeah. the result. And the uh, company's um, growth rate went up to seventeen percent, higher than the industry average. So there's the result they get. Yeah. And then the end of the story is back to the emotion of the BPS sales. So he's thrilled with the results, yeah. and then gets a promotion to senior vice president. <laughs> In between that step, John of here's the plan we worked on together, and here's the results. It's also really useful to put in what went wrong. And this is counterintuitive. What went wrong or what really could have gone wrong if we weren't very careful here? Because that's often answering objections within the story. Very often, you know, like that other client, he thought that this would never, this, there wouldn't be any return on investment on this because training doesn't work. So we put that in the story as well. Well, you know, we had to address that. So that that little step of avoiding failure is really important in a success story because that's what kind of makes it a realistic story because things always go wrong. You, you, were, in the, <laughs> you were in the Navy, you know that. There's no, at no time, the things always go right. <laughs> exactly right. No, great input, Mike. Thank you. I think people like to hear, too, how you have overcome the yes. bad thing right. or the client overcame the bad thing whatever it is. And I, I liken it to, you know, going back in history for me with people I've attended AA meetings in the past, any kind of recovery meeting, all the stories, think about the speakers that can command the stage with their stories, but they all have the same format, which isn't unlike what you're saying. And it's what did it used to be like? What happened? What is it yeah. like today? And they all follow that format. And that is what keeps us riveted. But with sales and training and selling hearing the failure the humanness yeah and that don't give up hope and you give them that happy ending because you're not going to tell the ones without the happy ending but to have that happy ending it's like whew, we got through that oh yeah, i'm so glad it's yeah, all better yeah, that's now right. yeah usually i, that's, I used to go to AA, yeah. aa with my mother just to support her and it's almost like the best stories were where this person was suffering the most right before their, their life had just totally fallen apart, right? They, they went bankrupt. They had to sell their house, you know, on and on. Wife left them. You know, I mean, it's just the worse, the worse the story is, the better it is <laughs> pretty much. 
That's true. Yeah. Yeah. We love those stories of redemption and yeah, getting ourselves together. So people might be thinking, how do I start a story? So if we go to your example, John, uh, I might say, look, uh, you're a mechanical contractor, uh, you know, in this kind of business. Could I tell you about another mechanical contractor in a situation like yours? And they'll say yes. And away yeah. you go. And like you said, John, as long as that's relevant and you're talking about and, and what I, the way I would finish, by the way, I would tell that story and give them a few seconds to sort of think about it. And then I would say, well, that's enough about them. What's going on around here? You know, what's happening here? And that story that you've told, will their situation won't be exactly the same. Of course, they'll just start telling you the story of what's happening there. So we call that sort of passing the torch, you know, just throwing the story baton across. And that's really important. If I tell a connection story, this is what happened to me. This is how I got into storytelling. What about you? How did you get into procurement or whatever you're into? Uh, and enough about them. What's going on around <laughs> here? So you, you mentioned you want to talk about how do I get the client to tell their story? Well, that's the first way I would say is tell them a story and they'll want to tell a story back because that's what people are like. But maybe we could also talk about questioning for stories. So at Anecdote, we talk about three types of story work. Storytelling, everyone knows what storytelling is. Story listening, which is deliberately provoking the client to tell you stories that you need to hear. And story triggering, which is doing something that makes a story that the client will tell internally in their organization. This is somewhat sophisticated. It will take me a bit longer to go Sounds into good. it. But story listening is super important for salespeople. We cannot help any client without understanding their situation in some detail. If we could, they don't need us. They will just go on right. eBay and buy whatever right. they need. Right. Like we, we need to consult. We need to understand what's going on, which means we need to hear their stories. When the client makes a vague statement, like customer service is our highest priority, we've got to get the story behind that. And we've got to ask the right question. A good question would be, huh, Everyone says that, I guess, but could you give me an example of what customer service really means in your company? What happens when it goes wrong? And they'll tell you an example, and now you start to know what's going on. So could you give me an example? And I've heard you say that several times already, John. I'll give you an example, story coming. Another question that you can ask is, they say something surprising, and you go, hmm, what's happened? What's happened to make you say that? That's a story-seeking question. And the third type of story-seeking question is, where were you when you saw that happen? That takes you to a moment. In fact, we say that any question that takes you to a moment in time, a specific moment, will probably get you a story. So we want to get the client talking about specific, concrete things that happened so that we can understand what, what the hell is going on in this place. So... That's that's super important, and this also takes practice. And when we're teaching this, I I just play the client and throw out some statements. You know, I'll say something like "safety is our highest priority," and then their job is to be the salesperson and find out. All right, why did you say that? What's behind it? It's surprisingly difficult. It it takes quite a bit of training to to get people to go. Okay, I'm not just accepting that at face value. And I tell a story about how I won a, a deal that was worth more than a quarter of a billion dollars by asking 
the question behind that statement, safety is our highest priority. And my question was, could you give me an example of good safety management? And the answer to that question won me a quarter billion dollar deal. Impressive. Mm. Yeah, so there's a whole world of um, hearing client stories that is open to us if, if we just know how to ask. Oh, those, those, are, those are great. So does this, is this a good time to transition into how do you go from where we've been now into closing a deal? Yeah, so I guess the, my book is written in three parts. And the first is like connect and build trust, yep. right? So that's the connection story. Who are you? What kind of character are you? Should I trust you? Those are the stories. So we would talk about telling your personal story or telling the story of someone else in your organization or your company story. They're all connecting stories. And then for Mindshare, we talked about success stories. In the book, I talk about two other types of stories that will explain to a buyer why they should change, why they should, should consider changing. And the third problem that salespeople have is actually getting someone to make a decision because that involves risk. Every time we want to sign an you know, important deal to, or you know, to buy something that's, that's critical, it's risky, things could go wrong. So there are stories that can really help at that stage. I'll tell you about one, and then I'll give you an example of, of a second type. The first type is what we call the influence story. The buyer has an objection and that we call that an anti-story in, right. in anecdote. So they have an idea in their mind that is kind of working against your solution. Uh, the classic objection that all salespeople have is too expensive. I mean, even if you're the cheapest product in the market, the buyer will say you're too expensive, right? So the pattern that we teach is to acknowledge, to acknowledge that they that's what they think without agreeing with it, and then to tell a story that would show them that there's another way to look at this and then reframe. So we call that influence story. Because a quick example from our business would be the client says, look, our sales training program is, is perfect. We've developed it over years. We love it. And on top of that, we've got no money for anything new. So there you go, end of story, right? So that's an objection. And within that objection is an anti-story. The client has a firm belief about their sales training program. So I could use an influence story. I could say, okay, I get it. Yeah, you, you guys have been in business a long time. Of course, you've got your own thing that you've developed, and I'm sure it works really well. Now the story. And it got me thinking about taking on something new. This story, by the way, was told by one of my students on one of my courses who wanted to influence his boss to take storytelling as, a, um, as, a, as part of their sales training program. So this is the story. He said, so my wife and I, we, we like to go mountain bike riding and, and we go up in the hill country north of Houston, so thanks to Houston. And um, I've been on it, my bike, my wife, for years to upgrade her bike. And she'd say, no, I love my bike. Look, it's part of my personality. I'm not changing it. But last week, her bike broke. The frame broke. And we were way out from the car. And I said, look, I'll push your bike. You take my bike. And when we got back to the car, she said, oh, my God. I can't believe how good your bike is. She said, I've been going all these years with my old bike. Uh, now the reframe. So you see, you can be perfectly happy with something that you have. It doesn't mean there isn't something better out there. So we're using the story to pass a feeling of what the opposite to your anti-story might be. It doesn't always work, but it's a way of putting another point of view. And we can do that for, we can prepare that for the common anti-stories that, that our clients have. But the final 
story type I would like to talk about for getting decision is what we call value stories. After we sign the contract, what kind of company are you? Do you stick with us? Can we trust that if something goes wrong, you'll still be there? If you can put that idea in the mind of the buyer that this is the right company that to work with after you sign the deal, you have a much better than average chance of closing that deal. So I worked in selling to big procurement departments, probably a lot like your listeners, John, um, heavy on process. And I worked for the German multinational Siemens for, for quite mm. a few years. And I couldn't understand how they sold anything because it was <laughs> such an engineering, engineering company. I had no marketing. Well, their, their idea of marketing, there was no sales training, but they won these massive contracts all the time. And, and, and I started to realize it was because of the stories of the past projects that was doing the selling. And I got to experience this kind of firsthand. I was in the office of um, our country manager, Siemens Australia country manager, and uh, we were talking about a deal. And he took a phone call from the Premier of Victoria, which is our state governor. You would call that governor in, in the US. He's German, and you could kind of see him go almost go to attention on the phone, you know, the heels clicking and taking this very important call. And he put the phone down. He said, Mike, um, we're delivering a very important piece of infrastructure to the Victorian and Tasmanian governments. I'm actually from Tasmania's island to the south of Victoria. And it's a 400-kilometer undersea electricity cable. And the ship bringing the inverter transformers from Germany to Australia has hit a storm in the Southern Ocean, broken its rudder, and all six trans inverter transformers are smashed beyond repair. We're going to have to build them again, and it takes 18 wow. months to build them. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And he's like, and he said, you know what, Mike? There was an emergency meeting of the Siemens board. They didn't talk about who's paying for this or, you know, suing the ship or anything like that. They just talked about how do we build six transformers in record time? You know what? They've built them in less than three months, and this project is not going to slip on its delivery time. That's a value story. That's how do you behave when things go wrong, right? This type of story wins deals and adds margin. People will buy from a company like that because they know it's worth paying more for. Um, worth paying more for that to be sure that it works when things go wrong because we know things sure. go wrong. That's my favorite type of story. It's our people, not necessarily the CEO or the leaders, but our people behaving the right way for the client after the deal. No, excellent. Yeah, so we kind of covered the buying cycle of, so the sort of stories to think about, you know, what story will connect me and build trust with this client? What story will show that they need to think about a change and that change will be safe because someone else has done it and it worked? And what are we like once things go wrong? Because they will. Right. They know that. What, how do we behave? What sort of company are we? Exactly. Oh, yeah, I can remember one story from Avis. So Avis has data that says if, if a customer has a problem and we fix it, 90% will continue to rent from us. If they have a problem and we fix it immediately, 95% will not only do business with us, they'll do business with us again soon. Mm. So that's a kind of a story that illustrates what's going to happen when that's you right. close the deal. Yeah. John, we're about out of time. Oh, gosh, we can't be. 
<laughs> That's what happens with stories. You tell stories and the time goes. Four <laughs> <laughs> stories. They were so good and so much to We all need to know where to find your book. Uh, yes, your, your listeners are almost certainly smart enough to type Mike Adams or seven stories. Every salesperson must tell into Google and that would tell them how to get all of that stuff. They might like to look at anecdote.com as well. So we, we take teams of, teams of salespeople through storytelling. We're also building an app, which I'm very excited about. We've, we do all this work with our clients and they don't know what to do with the stories when we're finished. And, and now we have an app for sharing stories and making sure your salespeople can tell their stories. So I'm super excited about that. Oh, that's excellent. That's great. Well, thank, thank you so much, Mike. This has been terrific. I've learned more than I do from most podcast guests. That's for sure. Definitely. (laughs) I agree. I'm with you on that. Look forward to staying in touch. Thanks very much, John. Lovely. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies and CEO John Asher. Find us at (laughs) asherstrategies.com. Over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. Go to asherstrategies.com today or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866-833-9941.